0: Well, you know, I feel like it when you're in the like, you know, quote unquote Giants Twitter space that I feel like is a joke that like rightfully gets made, you know, about the idea of like there being like specific Twitter spaces, I feel like why not? We're just going to, I'm just going to give the people I follow a, a legendary status. I think that's where we're going with this. But, you know, Roger, it's, it's been a while since we, we chatted um, and, you know, as minor league baseball now, we've had about you know, close to a month of it. We've had. Uh, more than a month of big league baseball Uh, obviously you focus on the minor league side you know Uh, what have been kind of your main focuses so far this year with the Giants organization what have you been tracking the most closely
1: well obviously uh being one of these weird east coast Giants fans um, what I get to see like with my own eyes most closely is the double a team at Richmond uh which I've, I've been to quite a few times this year and um fortunately i'm kind of close enough to to see a lot of their games um so that's kind of the thing that i get to actually sit in the stadium and watch um i'm also of course focusing on the rest of the the miners particularly the a ball teams i think which is frequently a, a source of interest and fascination uh, particularly with this system right now uh, so that's kind of what i'm tracking mostly is the the low to 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 mid minor league levels and, uh, and just the quality of play, because I think the thing that hovered over this year, when things got started up was where players going to be after the lost season. Um, And I know every team, all 30 teams, the giants, you know, did their best to replicate work for certain amount of players, did their best to get people in the right place, but there was always going to be this question of how did the lost repetitions from last year, uh what's going to affect them this year and how much rust was there going to be and i think um one of one of the things we're seeing is that you know there is some rust on these players uh, the pitchers are mostly not quite fine with their control the the hitters are probably still kind of working their way into timing so that's been kind of one of the early stories that, that i'm watching is how long does it take players to kind of recalibrate their their baseball brains and really get into the swing of things
0: yeah and i think what is going to be really interesting and obviously while we're still in the thick of it it's going to be very hard to delineate now but i do want to look back and as not just you know how are players getting back in the swing of things but were certain hitters more or less impacted right like was there a profile of hitter that maybe it's for whatever reason easier to write get back into rhythm versus others Um, you know diving into the lower minor league size of it I'll just start here you know if you think about the Giants top picks the last couple of seasons first years under Michael Holmes as scouting director first years with Farhan Zaidi as president of baseball operations in San Francisco you know they've taken all uh, collegiate hitters right Hunter Bishop and Patrick Bailey in the first round Logan Wyatt and Casey Schmidt in the second Bishop's been dealing with injuries so he hasn't you know played much at all this season um, at Eugene, but the other three, you know, they have not by any means been at least Im- impressive, right? And in case of Wyatt and especially Schmidt at low A, they've struggled. And I think, you know, we, we've talked and probably written at ad nauseum about this at this point, but you know, the giants were clear, like they, all these hitters kind of follow somewhat similar trajectories, right? There were questions about, um, you know, some element of their offensive game about how that was going to translate in a way that, you know, isn't uncommon for prospects, but was with the consistency, right, that the Giants had drafted them with, right? Like Wyatt and Schmidt are two guys who presumably have some power tools, but scouts were saying, like, there's probably going to need to be some shifts in their game for that to play at, at the professional level. Bailey, you saw, Bailey was a prospect I felt like I saw the most oscillating takes on what he was as a hitter for like a guy who was a consensus top 15, top 20 pick where it felt like there were scouting reports I read where people were like, yeah, you know, his, he's probably has a ceiling as a 40 grade power tool, but could be a 55, 60 grade hitter. And then I saw others. And and I lean more towards this side where the hit tool might cap at 45, maybe 50 and, and the power might be more 50. Um, 55, you know, what has been your takeaway from, you know, those top picks who've kind of struggled here in their first taste of professional baseball or full season ball in the case of, uh, Wyatt. Well, so my, my number one take is, um,
1: that I really, really would like to see a healthy Hunter Bishop on the yeah. field. Uh, and I think that's just been something that's been going on all year. He, we didn't see him that much in spring training. Cause he had uh, apparently uh, an ankle issue. It, he didn't actually play all that much in the scrimmages at the alt side. And then uh, three games into the season uh, he, he went down and has been um, rehabbing ever since then. So he was a guy who I really wanted to see this year what he could do with sort of a full season after the full season of instruction under his belt after being at the site last year. He's a guy who just has so, so much talent that I had. Uh, he was one of the one of the people who I was kind of most uh, clocking myself to this year. And the fact that he hasn't been able to get on a field and stay healthy uh, is a real shame. Uh, for the organization, for Hunter, obviously, and for fans who want to see somebody really talented perform. Uh, So that has been uh, unfortunate. Um, The other, so Bailey is an interesting guy, and I totally agree with you that he gets the widest spread of opinions about his bat of anybody I can remember in a while. Um, You will see people say that he is, you know, a glove guy with power both sides yep. um, who may be an average hitter you'll see other guys who say no no he's going to be you know a well above average hitter they're not sure if the power is going to play well that's really disparate view yeah. you know scouting is that way but he does come in with a lot of very very widespread views and you know i think in general that has something to do with the fact that all these guys lost their, their mm-hmm. junior year of college. So they weren't really seen. They didn't quite have the track record also in his case, being a switch hitter um, plays a part into that. Um, the other thing that's interesting about Bailey is uh, you will hear, and I heard um, from a couple of people I know in, in Scottsdale during spring training, that he is a particularly strong swing decision guy, which makes sense for somebody in the giant system right now, that he really is very deliberate about what he swings at and what he hasn't. Uh, And then when he got into the season, almost immediately his, his, uh, his K walk ratio got a little wonky at the beginning there. Um, But I don't think, and so uh, I wrote something the other day, if you kind of look under the hood, which is hard to do with the minor leagues because most (laughs) of this data is not publicly available. um, But there is some data that comes out of the games that you can get publicly. And one of them is this designation of hard hit rate. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually rates really high on that this year. He's, uh, his hard hit is is being designated about 40% of the time, um, which is related to the Statcast cast model. Uh, so I think to a certain degree, he's, uh, his numbers are not indicative of how he's performed, which is you know true of all players in A-ball. You don't want to pay too much attention to the numbers. Uh, it sounds like he's hitting the ball hard. Another guy who's like that is Tyler Fitzgerald. His hard hit yeah. rates are actually really high, and his numbers don't look good at all. So you always have to be careful to buy too much into to numbers. Um, I will say Bailey has looked fantastic behind the plate. He's leading the league in caught stolen. Uh, He moves athletically, you know, all of the kind of stuff you hear about him on the defensive side is definitely true on the offensive side. I think the numbers probably aren't indicative of how he's performed. And, you know, just uh, to step aside from the Giants system. uh, I just spent um, almost a week watching Adley Rushman play uh, last week, who was the top, pick in uh, the 2019 draft and it was frequently called a, a generational talent yeah. catcher um, and the same thing he would look great right behind the plate you could see how fluid he was how athletic he was um, but he struck out many 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 times in that series and I just think you know that's part of this whole early season coming back from from a lost season Logan Wyatt is a whole He's, he could be like his own sub-genre topic in the giant system because there is really nobody like Logan Wyatt. Um, and <laughs> um, it's, it's fascinating in its own way. I, I know people will compare him to Brandon Belt, but Brandon Belt hit for a lot of power as a minor leaguer. You know? yeah. he, he was a guy who came out and really crushed the ball and destroyed the ball. And he, he was always Brandon Belt. He always knew what he wanted to swing at. Um, Logan Wyatt, if we talk about those same sort of hard hit rates, he has one of the lowest hard hit rates in the system in, so far. Yeah. Um, he's seeing a ton of pitches, which we know the Giants place a lot of importance on. Uh, but if, if you listen to, there was a, a couple months ago, Fangraphs had this, uh, this live Twitch stream with Kevin Goldstein, who used to um, be fairly high up in the Houston Astros. Uh, organization and he went on a fairly extended rant about logan white where he's like you know the guy's big he's strong he he knows exactly what to swing at he never swings at anything he doesn't he uh, he just doesn't hit the ball very hard and so far this year that has more or less been true of him he uh, has walked a lot and he's hit some singles uh, but we're not seeing a big hard hit rate for him we're not seeing many extra base hits uh it's it's a fascinating project i think for the giants to see if they can take this guy who knows exactly what to swing at and turn him into a guy who can impact the pitches he chooses to swing at uh the way that you know that's going to be a project that's going to take a while i think but that's a fascinating thing to watch in this is
0: yeah what one of the things that, that immediately strikes me when you, know, you go over to minor league splits and, and you look at um Wyatt right and obviously you get to the you know 14.7% walk rate 20% strikeout rate which you know fantastic right for first base when you look at that and you look over at contact right he has is making contact at the second highest rate on that Eugene Emerald's team only behind Ismael Munguia, who has Munguia. an incredible contact hit to a right. Like he he when when Wyatt swings, he generally puts it in play. You know, he has an or, or fouls, he has an 80.4% contact rate, right? For contacts like you know Patrick Bailey, uh, Franklin Labore, Will Wilson, they're all in that 60 to 65% range. But what's really impressive about Wyatt is not only does he have the 80% contact rate he has i think the lowest or second lowest uh, yeah the lowest swing rate right he's only swung at 34% of 34%. the pitches <laughs> 34% so when he swings he's 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 making contact like again like you said he's he's really good at being selective in that way but you know when when it comes to impacting the ball when it, when it comes to you know driving it in that issue or i guess you know trying to, you know, put the ball in play for extra base hits. That hasn't been an issue. I mean, there was a point this year, I remember, where Wyatt went, I think it was 11, it was eight or 11. So we're in that range. And I was just kind of following it and posting about it on Twitter because I was just so um, enthralled with it. He went like eight or nine straight plate appearances where he either walked or singled and did nothing else. He did not make it out, but he did not have an extra base hit. And it's just such a wildly unique um profile and i feel like that's what make that's what's going to make um you know some of these picks from the giants the last few years is they really have gone to in some like what is similar about them is there is something really unfamiliar or there is something that doesn't follow the pattern of prospects right like in some ways hunter bishop is the most like standard and that he has big time power and questions about his hit tool but, of course, questions about a, a prospect's hit tool is like the, you know, Pandora's box of prospect development, right? It's like a, every prospect, there's questions about their hit tool, right? Until there isn't. And, and so um, it, it's, it is really, I think, going to be interesting to see how these things play out. And I think if things were going differently in the system, I think fans would be focusing a lot more on these struggles, you know, at the lower minor leagues from some of these top picks, from some of, you know, the quote-unquote bigger names but you know as you know roger you know you and i are prospects experts we knew that this was always a pitching organization right we never had any doubts about the pitching depth or the pitching prospects and i mean up and down um the giant system and you do a better job than me at keeping sort of context of other systems i'm not sure if this is a you know, perhaps a, a larger trend where it's just pitching prospects are off to hotter starts, but definitely in the giant system, right. We're seeing up and down the system. You, you're having, you know, guys like a Ryan Murphy or Caleb Killian, who's heading your way. Uh, it's double a or Sam long, who's now leading you uh, at Richmond, heading, heading up to triple a um, who, who are, are coming back from this year away, you know, With either a dominance we haven't seen before, or in some of these cases, just having incredible uh, debuts, and I think it also does speak to something that the Giants development team was ultimately right about, is that it's probably easier for pitchers to, you know, refine what they do and continue their development without organized games without a big league without a minor league season than it was for you know to be said for equivalent prospect hitters who you know if you're not facing 95 or you're not facing different pitch mixes and different pitchers every day that's going to be a lot harder for you where a pitcher you know even by themselves you know you've gotten to see Joey Marciano who I wrote about right who you know essentially you know guys who can kind of get in a cage and with a radar gun and some spin analytics and just kind of try to really refine certain pitches.
1: Yeah, in fact I just talked to Joey uh yesterday and uh I'll I'll pitch my own podcast. Uh, I have a, a um, interview with Joey out today on the their Giants podcast. Um it's it's interesting because I know different organizations thought about that differently and I do think that There are exceptions to this, and Mm -hmm. I would love to talk to these guys and ask them kind of how they feel like they got to where they are. Like Matt Frisbee has been very on point with his control from the start of the year, which I think is why he has gotten off to the year he has. There are other guys that you can kind of see they're still searching for the level of command that allows you to place a ball on the edge where you want it, when you want it, as opposed to throwing it in the strike zone, because that's ultimately, that's a lesson that hitters teach you, right. That you can't get away with something and you have to put it somewhere else. Uh, So not having those hitters, you know, teaching them that lesson last year, I think does matter. Um, So I think there is a little rust on the pitchers too, but I wish I had this, uh, I wish I had this data at my fingertips. Uh, J.J. Cooper at Baseball America uh, did a whole article on this not very long ago about strikeout rates and batting average rates across the minors and particularly in the lower minors. Mm -hmm. And they are at this point in time, you know, we're still early in the season, uh, but they're at this point in time at historic uh, highs or lows like yeah. strikeouts per game are really off the charts in a ball and I, you know, i i was talking to alex dempson uh who does some radio for the eugene team and i was saying at the, i think we were coming off a, a series where like uh nick moriali out of georgetown had struck out nine people and then mm-hmm. connor nurse struck out nine people and uh you know seth Corey struck out nine people i'm like I don't know what to do with this information at a certain point in time. There was a series, I think San Jose played, where they were multiple games in a row, where they were striking out 19, 20. 18, no. yeah. <laughs> and it really does get to the point, and this is also an industry-wide trend, the same mm-hmm. thing's happening in college ball, obviously the same thing's happening in the majors. And what makes it this sort of, you know, cognitive disconnect that you're not really, you look at the information you say, well, that's impressive, but you're not really sure what it means is, uh, you know, that what we're seeing on the big league level is strikeups are going way, way up batting averages are plummeting, but the run environment isn't actually changing that much because batters are punishing lesser pitchers mistakes to a greater effect. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's like, the the elements of the game are changing, but the overall environment isn't. So that, that's what makes it really difficult and kind of fascinating to look at the minor leagues and see these elements are going shooting up. So the K rates are really spiking. Batting average is, you know, if if the season went and had the same batting average as seeing in the minors now, it would be the first time ever that it was, you know, corporately lower than 250. So these are really, really changing in the minor leagues, but it's hard to figure out exactly what it means some of it is approach some of it is velocity it's all the same questions people are asking about the major league game but in an environment where um where you're trying to develop as opposed to
0: just produce yeah no it it raises all these interesting questions and i think too um what is interesting when, when you're looking you know obviously early and you know like at this point in the minor season, right. Any hitter for the most part is like one four for four multi-homer game away from, you know, their stat line going from mediocre to, Oh, they're having a great year. You know I mean? Like it, that's part of the reason um, at this point it, it gets so difficult, especially when we're trying to like look at trends and figure out, all right, what is, you know, something that is effective last year. What is an effect of, you know, I guess for lack of better term, the swing revolution or whatever you want to call it on that front. But, for the Giants, in some ways, what's been interesting is that, you know, granted, we could have a conversation about what Joey Bart's doing at AAA, but to me, like none of the top prospects are really like having like exceptional years that are changing, you know, how they're viewed, right? Like it, to me, Bart and Ramos are doing well at their respective levels. Ramos obviously at Double A, Bart at Triple A. But it's not something where it's changing how I'm viewing them as prospects, right? Like you know, Marco Luciano and and Luis Matos have gotten there in different ways, but both are kind of are ending up centralizing around this kind of league average performance at low a San Jose, which given their age and stuff is by no means, um, you know, a knock on them, right. Just that no one's come in day one and, and changing it. I think that's what makes Bishop's injury. So frustrating is Bishop was the one player who I was like, you know, I've been a bit lower on him just because of these hit tool concerns, because we haven't gotten to see him for a prolonged period of time, but he was someone I felt like could very quickly change the conversation on how he's viewed just because he has such power. He has, you know, generally shown a good ability to work walks and work good at bats and that he's someone who could have, I thought, stepped into high end, who knows, um, really changed things there. But the players who have impressed, you know, offensively are these, I mean, really on the pitching side too, but especially offensively, have been these more kind of mid-level or fringy um, prospects, right? It's been, you know, at at low A, it's been Abdiel Lair coming out of nowhere, hitting five homers, right? It's been, you know, Diego Rincones at at high A. It's been, you know, Andres Angulo at at double A, all of these guys who – you know, are just hitting well. Like, like they're just putting the other good at-bats, putting the ball in place, seem to be hitting the, the ball hard with relative cons- consistency. Um, and you know, when is, that's not too big of a shot, given, you know, he basically just moved one level up and he was, you know, formidable with Augusta in 2019. But someone like, you know, Angulo, who you know, was not good offensively at the plate, you know, at Augusta and he gets forced to double a. And what I think I read, right. And I think most people read as well, they have, you know, Ricardo Henaves and, you know, Patrick Bailey, who they probably consider better prospects. And so the only place for Angula to go was double a, since they didn't want to force those guys up a level, but he's looked like he deserved that placement. Like he's been one of the most well-rounded players. Um, at double a so what have you kind of made of these kind of early season you know again obviously you're not putting any of these guys necessarily in your top five prospects for the giants but you know players who've come in and it seems like are working towards really changing their perceptions about them
1: yeah well and so a couple of things about that one i do think that um something that we hope to be seeing going forward over the long run with the giant system is that they will start making mid-tier prospects sort yep. of best versions of themselves the way the way the Dodgers are the way the Dodgers keep just churning up these third, fourth, fifth round draft choices into quality major leaguers. And Diego Rincones is a really good example of the type of guy who you would look at and say, you know, a, a team that can really develop should develop this guy into a usable asset. He, he's got great back to ball skills. Um, he's hit pretty much everywhere he's gone. He has a lot of raw strength. He doesn't strike out much, um, he, he's a guy who you look at and say, yeah, that's somebody who should be developed into, in, into a, a good usable prospect. Um, the other thing to say is we are still really, really early. Yes. And an interesting thing about the changes of this year because of health and safety protocol is these six game series. So you're playing mm-hmm. one opponent for a week. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, that stretch where Logan Wyatt had like 15 straight yeah. where he, he walked her single. Well, that was, and we now know, looking back from a couple of weeks, that was against a really, really poor quality competition in the Spokane Indians who the, the team's now playing for the second time. So you're going to be in the fourth week, half of all of the percentage of Eugene's games are going to be against this one opponent who is getting kind of beat up by its league. And there are some teams around the minors like that, who are really just weren't prepared for whatever reason and are getting kind of kicked around. Well, if you have half your schedule against one of these teams, it can really change your perspective of how people are performing. So we're both early and there are some sort of schedule weirdities Uh, just the, the six game series in general is I think something that's going to distort stats a bit, particularly earlier in the year, because you really get familiar with another team's Mm -hmm. staff, another team's lineup. Uh, You're seeing one starter twice, which is always a challenge for for starters. And usually you're seeing relievers. The Giants uh, have not been pitching people Back to back days, there's only one instance of a guy throwing two straight days in the whole system, I believe, this year. But you're over six days, you're probably seeing most guys at least twice. Yeah, so you can really sort of build up numbers or get numbers torn down. You know, one thing that I've been doing on my site, I have these weekly reviews and it just jumps out to you. It's like, well, if I do, who's hot this week? The next week, that guy's who's not. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't not take much to differentiate between a hot week and a not week. Will Wilson was hitting 400 yep. at the end of week two. Then he went one and one for 19, I think, on the on the last road trip. And suddenly, he's not. Elliot Ramos has had a couple shifts like that. And I think these six game series play into that a little bit. That you can kind of get a comfort zone with the way one team is pitching you or lack thereof, or no, they're attacking me successfully, and and, uh, I don't have an answer for that, and now the series is over, and and your stats took a big either decline or increase based on the fact that you had that six-game series. Yeah. So I think this is all stuff that's going to, you know, it's going to take a while for this stuff to normalize, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think it's going to create some just really interesting um, developmental opportunities, right? Like, I I think where... You know, you're having your it's enabling teams and players, I think, to or it's going to, if to enable them to make adjustments to players. And I wonder if it's going to potentially open up avenues to expose prospects holes a bit earlier than we've seen in the past, because, you know, there is that kind of um, like high intensity kind of close um, exposure. Right. With teams where you're going to see, you know, and granted. Part of the issue is with at the lower levels, pitchers just don't usually have the command to take advantage of a hitter's weak spots, even if they necessarily know what they are. But, you know, I do, I, I do wonder if like someone, you know, like Luis Matos, right, who's another one kind of like in that Will Wilson vein, right, who, who kind of looked like he was, who was on the verge of doing what he did at Dominican Summer League, where it was just going to be two for four every day. And you know he was swinging a lot, right? He was playing aggressively, especially on like first pitch fastballs. He was really turning on those, and then he 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 very he fairly quickly stopped getting them, right? And fairly quickly has been seeing a lot more first pitch breaking pitches, or and where he's you know he's chasing a bit, right? And he's still not striking out um, at a particularly high rate, but he's also not squaring up balls as consistently consistently as we saw kind of in that that sort of two week stretch there um, earlier on. And I think for the Giants who I think what we expect to see from this development staff is one that is going to be promoting players aggressively. Like um, obviously we've seen some relatively safe um, assignments to start the year, but I think what we saw in 2019 is that they're going to want to get their young guys or players kind of uh, to a level where they might be the youngest of the group, right? It seems like they're going to be a bit more aggressive with those promotions that that could be really advantageous for them because it, for players they're already kind of putting in quote unquote difficult situations, it's also going to have this added um challenge where teams are going to be able to adjust to you a bit more. And so for younger players like Luciano and Amatos, that may mean, you know, it is harder for one of them to have an incredible season at low A that gets them promoted to high A and gets all this hype. But that could ultimately end up being better for their development because it means they're being forced to address holes now rather than you know, later down the line, right? Like Joey Bart's kind of, you know, what one we, we, we've talked a lot about, right, with struggling on the inside pitch, but not really getting challenged very much inside or being able to kind of get by until he was in the big leagues last, last season. And, you know, you wonder if if he's getting sort of more prolonged looks that teams maybe are more willing or more aggressive in challenging that, and that he maybe has to make adjustments sooner uh, than he ultimately had to.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. There are certain kind of players that, you have to get to the right level to get challenged yes. uh, and, and louis matos is a, is a really good example louis matos is is sw- in swing mode but he covers so much of the plate that he can see- succeed at that uh, approach uh, at this level uh, and you know at some other level you'd say well you know make him chase on the first pitch right if he's going to swing at the first pitch don't throw it down the middle but a low a pitcher you know they may not throw it down the middle, but it's not intentional. <laughs> right, right. They, they don't know where the ball is going all the time. Um, I, I kind of Elliot Ramos' season has been really fascinating in that way because he is at a level where guys are probing him and attacking him, and he has to adjust back. Um, one thing I was talking about uh, with Trey Wilson, uh, the the Richmond broadcasters uh, yesterday, uh, is if you have watched all his games, he has an extreme opposite field approach going this year. If you Mm look at the spray chart, he has very little pull on his spray chart this year. He's hitting the ball away a huge percentage of the time. Uh, And and that was even more dramatic a few days ago. And um, Trey said he was talking to Doug Clark, the Richmond hitting coach about it. And he said, yeah, that's because... um, he had that first hot week here, the first uh, four or five days against Hartford. He really exploded and they immediately started attacking him with essentially soft, soft stuff away yeah. to see if he would chase, which he did quite a bit, but he also adjusted to that. So he started hitting the ball away and he has so much power to the opposite field that he can really do that. He can, he can sit and say, I'm looking for a hanging slider on the outer half, and I'm going to go the other way with it, and I'm going to just knock the bejesus out of it, which he can do. What I was starting to see at the end of the week, this week with Bowie in town, is they were then adjusting back and starting to attack him with fastballs up to get him to chase there because he was looking out in the way mm-hmm. so now he's got to adjust to that and it'll be interesting to see if we start seeing some hard hit balls to the pull side out of him and that's that's kind of that dance that you get into at the higher levels where people can execute a plan uh and then the hitters must respond to it or you know suffer the consequences so that's, you know,
0: yeah i just pulled up ramos's fan graphs page um, you know, in terms of hitting the ball the opposite way before this year, the most he'd ever done was about 33%. This year it's 44% of the balls he's put in play up into the opposite field. So definitely a noticeable um, spike there and about a 10% decline in pole side contact. So, you know, that, that definitely lines up with what you're saying. And, you know, speaking of, you know, I feel like, you know, I can be touched on kind of this pitching, but there have been a few stars, right? Like while wow, there's been this trend, especially at the lower minors where you're seeing all these strikeouts, you know, Ryan Murphy, Caleb Killian, um, Matt Frisbee, uh, that you've gotten to see more up close. All players who, you know, have a kind of, you know, similar backgrounds. Obviously, Frisbee was the lowest pick of all of them, but they were college guys without huge hoopla around them as draft prospects. Murphy um, was a D3 um, pitcher and Lemoyne Lemoyne, LeMoyne College LeMoyne. right
1: one of many colleges i'd never heard of before the giants drafted a guy out of there
0: yes that was for me what was the the masters college right that's where we got the, the
1: santa clara santa clarita yeah
0: yeah um so you know you have uh these three who i feel like have been the biggest standouts like you know we've seen Kyle Harrison and Seth Corey get the swings and misses but that's come with kind of some you know erratic control command ball placement that you know it's kind of par for the course with what especially what we expected with Corey and it seems like what we're gonna get with Harrison for a bit. But Murphy, Frisbee, and Killian have been striking out a bunch, have been not walking guys, and have been keeping their pitch counts um relatively low. I mean, this is you know, we focus so much on the hitting, partially because The depth of the system looked to be offensive and you know you're talking about with the Dodgers right it's finding these mid level hitters and turning them into maybe big league contributors or potentially even quote unquote stars or you know above average everyday players but right now the early successes do seem to be on the pitching side, a part of the draft that the giants didn't invest a lot in, right? Caleb Killian's the only pitcher they take in the top 10 rounds. Obviously Trevor McDonald, a prep player, they give third round money in the 11th, but you know, Killian's the only pitcher they take in the top 10 rounds, you know, Murphy, you know, last year they invested a bit more heavily, but obviously in a five round draft, it's by no means, um, you know, a a huge influx of pitching talent. And even in the years of, but prior to that, with the exception of I'm trying to think, was that the Ramos year when they took collegiate pitchers from like rounds three to eight with Cave and Wong and um, Rivera? But anyway, um, you know, it, it's it been a hitting investment that's been pretty fairly consistent um, for the system. But we're seeing the mid-tier pitchers are the ones who we're seeing some pretty huge breakouts here early. And then Killian just gets promoted up to, to Richmond from Eugene, where, where he'd been lights out.
1: So Killian is uh, the most interesting of that group, I think, for me, yeah. uh, followed a little bit by Frisbee. But um, the thing that's interesting about Killian, well, let me go back up. So Ryan Murphy, uh, he lives in this level of you have to prove it out at every level because yeah. the stuff is just not very big. But he commands a repertoire of pitches. He can throw multiple pitches kind of where he wants to throw them. That was his reputation uh, when the Giants drafted him. They liked that he could command a variety of pitches, which is always, always a level, uh, a recipe for great success at low A. Um, And you've seen, um, I remember uh, several years ago, and I don't know who did this, uh, but somebody used to name the minor league ERA title holder, with some superlative, like the most excellent pitcher of the year, Mm -hmm. something like that. And the Giants had a pitcher named Kevin Pusitas, who was a college arm, uh, mostly a sinker slider guy, uh, who put up like a 1-6 or something ERA in the Sally one year. So he was the most sensational pitcher of the year. And it was just because that phylum performs really well at that level against those level of players. So <laughs> Murphy's success is in a way predictable, although, you know, all credit to him because he has really dominated. He's had two different starts where he only gave up one hit. So it's it's hard to overstate how dominant that is. Um, but you still look at the stuff and say, well, we'll see what it does at the next level. Yeah. Killian, on the other hand, came out of Texas Tech with pretty decent stuff. Um, he was, you know, in that class. They didn't draft much pitching in that class obviously he was what the eighth round pick and the first yeah. pitcher they took and but he was also the guy who you know ba always does its best tools for every draft and it's like best fastball it's like yeah it's Killian's, and it wasn't at that point huge fastball it was like a 94 ish fastball but he commanded it really well so good command of a, of a pretty solid fastball is a great place to start and then, you know, he barely pitched that first year. I think he threw like 20 innings, but they were really, really sensational innings. Uh, in fact, he didn't give up a run his in that in that summer. Um, he had pitched in the College World Series uh, pretty pretty deep in the College World Series, so they they went pretty light on him. But he was really good, and then in the, in the year since then, year and a half since then, it seems like he's gotten um, a velo bump, and that's sort of the – the smart play for smart organizations these days is find guys with good control and teach them to increase their velocity, because that seems to be a more successful approach than finding guys with big velocity and teaching them command, which is always difficult. Killian seems to be one of these guys, find a guy who can have fastball command and bump it up. And what we've seen at Eugene earlier this year is, he is touching like 97, 98 somewhat. Although I have seen, if you watch him, it'll drop pretty precipitously mm. after a few innings. So he's he started in that 96, 98 range and he may drop down to like 92, 94 uh, by the time he's hitting like the fourth or fifth inning. So that's something to watch. But in general, the take a guy like Killian who's got a good arm and good command and increase the velocity. Is kind of the, the savvy way to do pitcher development these days. So he is a really interesting guy from that perspective. Um, Frisbee, I think, is you know he had a tremendous year in twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. and we know the story that he he built his own gym and, and yes. added some weight this year. He's still more of a command profile than a stuff profile, uh, from what I've seen I mean, him. he really survives on living on the black. He has had a added a splitter this year that has really been effective. Um, but I think I'm going to be really interested to see kind of how he continues thriving in, in, in double A as hitters see him a few times um, because he, he is mostly attacking people with really strong command. So that's, that's a good, that's a, a good step to go forward on. Um, but you always want to see double A, you know, does it, does it have carry?
0: Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason you see Sam long get the promotion um, to triple a and frisbee. Maybe not when you, when you start looking at how they're performing, um, you know, long looked like players were really struggling to hit long. They've been struggling to hit frisbee, but for a very different way, right. Where long stuff has really played well at the level. There's been kind of, he's had, he's felt like it's been some bad luck where there's been a couple hits have strung together or defensively. I am curious though, Do you think um, there is – I guess what limited amount of time you saw for Long while he was with you at Richmond, do you think this is a promotion where the Giants, he's going to keep starting every fifth day, they see him in a rotation? Or do you think that this was a, you know what, we might need a guy – this season, given the bullpen struggles, we might need a guy to, you know, maybe Long's more likely to be the guy to give us three really good innings when we need a spot start, as we're seeing, you know, with where Casimir gets us last Saturday. Do you? What was your takeaway, I guess, from Sam Long in his first, you know, official games with the Giants organization after coming out of nowhere the spring training?
1: Well, I do think it's interesting that he was of the of the people in the Richmond rotation. He did not stretch out very far like mm-hmm. um i think four innings was the most he threw yeah. i think he stuck at four, maybe three games in a row whereas uh some of the other guys they have been lengthening out to more five six innings um he was mostly four. a lot of that was because his pitch counts were getting up he he at least in the starts i saw you know, he had really good stuff, but he was one of those guys who's sort of looking for the pinpoint command. And so some of the bats would get uh, extended with foul balls and whatever before he put them away and get to some three ball counts. Um, but basically he wasn't quite sharp, but his stuff was able to overcome a little lack of sharpness at this level. I think part of it is, you know, Sacramento <laughs> got their got their coverage rated a bit, by the Giants recently, so yep. they really do need, somebody who can throw some innings on that staff. Uh, You know, Topiano went up, Casimir went up. Uh, They didn't have anybody who's really thrown a lot of innings. Beattie's been on a pitch count. Uh, Yamaguchi and Banda have both kind of struggled, although Yamaguchi was really great last week. So they really have a need for a bulk innings guy there. But I do think, I I thought, uh, frankly, that it was interesting that Long was the choice there because Mm -hmm. while his stuff has been really good, uh, I don't know that I would have looked at him and say, yeah, he's the guy who's ready to go up necessarily. And I wonder a little bit how much uh, some organizations value comfort a lot for players. So the fact that he's, you know, a Sacramento person, so he's going home. Mm-hmm. Where it's like Sean jelly, uh, his family now lives in Richmond. You know, Matt Frisbee is a, an East coast guy. Sometimes that's a factor in, 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 a, in, in these cases. Sure. I don't know that it was there long, definitely had good looking stuff, but, uh, but I do think that they are looking to develop him as a starter, whether that's gonna be a need this year or not. Uh, you know, that's all sort of how logistics shake out. I think that they are looking at him in that bucket. And he is a really good looking starting prospect for my eyes.
0: Yeah, I mean it's you know, we've been focusing on the players the Giants have, you know, acquired via the draft, but you know, long looks like uh, just uh, an incredible find on minor league free agency. Um, just, you know, really, again, making something out of nothing. Um, really just good find for the organization.
1: And it's what he's been doing. I should say he, he uh, he's one of many people on the Richmond team who had to jump a level. Yeah. Uh, so it was a challenging assignment for him in general because uh, he was coming up from the Sally. So the fact that he could kind of shackle double-A hitters the way he had without ever having high experiences is pretty impressive. He was, you know, mostly in that 94-95 range with his fastball, and he wasn't perfectly sharp with it all the time, but it was good enough to keep anybody from really barreling him very often. He wasn't giving up a lot of hard hits. So, you know, his time here was was pretty impressive, as as brief as it
0: was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, for – the Giants um, when, when we're thinking about what, um, you know, trying to get a sense of what this new organization's approach is going to be, you know, what this new front office is, is trying to do. I, I am curious to you as someone who's, you know, followed the farm system really closely and then looked at it from a really in-depth perspective for some time. What would you say, you know, we're talking about kind of the wins, right, of this this early season. It, it, it's been, you know, these players like Killian, um, especially, um, you know, taking the step forward, right? We, we're seeing Harrison struggle, you know, with command and control as young as he is, but again, still showing incredible strikeout stuff. If you are sort of, from your perspective outside looking in, what are, I guess are your concerns about the potential maybe weak spots or blind spots for... Um, whether it's the player development side or it's the scouting side where you feel like maybe the, the giants, the approach might lead them to miss out on certain prospects or perhaps overvalue certain types of prospects.
1: Uh, well, you know, they're smarter than me, so I'm not going uh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to do, do too much of that. I um, certainly, the, uh, the, the conversation about Logan Wyatt leads you to, to that question. It's like, how much, how much value can you really put in good swing decisions if mm-hmm. there's not also impact behind it? And as I say, that's, I think, uh, an experiment that's going to run uh, for a while. Uh, I tend to agree with their uh, extreme belief in uh, controlling the strike zone as being predictive. I mean, there are players who succeed without doing that Uh, and and we can think of people in the major league level like tim anderson was a guy who was always that people pointed that he swings too much he doesn't control the strike zone people exploit him and his talents have risen above that hobby bias is one of those guys but in aggregate i think that's a good way to approach development Um, and i do think that you know they are not they, they still look for tools uh, when they are drafting and when they're signing people. Um, you know, we've heard the story of sort of Farhan's ID being the, the tools police yes. for, for Oakland drafts. Like, does he have the tools? When you look at athletes around the system, unfortunately, he has... Uh, not been uh, able to get on another guy who has not been able to get on the field lately is Armani Smith, mm-hmm. um, but tremendous athlete, you know, and a guy you really like to see Abdel layer is actually a really athletic looking uh, kid. When you see him, uh, his brother, who they also drafted uh, who's no longer in the system was a tremendous athlete. So um, I do think that they focus well on athletes and tools. And I'm always a believer that, you know, tools will play at the highest level. Um, and no matter how long it takes to kind of dial into that, they do certainly they are showing certain proclivities. I think they're on the pitching side focused more on command profiles than mm-hmm. pure velocity, and I think it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Uh, that was certainly the case with Killing when they drafted him. That was really the case with Harrison, although he's been a bit more of a wild child to start out his career than um, his his high school career and his Team USA time. Uh, Would lead you to believe he's, uh, he's still working on looking for that fastball. that's just growing into his body.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to think about, you know, we talked about Bailey was this player who had like wildly disparate, you know, reports and in Harrison, it seemed like everyone had coalesced around this idea that he was a, a low 90s you Know control, you know, really uh, ready to move potentially quote unquote quickly for a prep prospect, and then we're seeing him, he, then he's pumping 97, 98 by the fall, and, and it's a very different um profile. And again, I think that's the thing that makes it so difficult, also from the outside looking in, and why um I would caution fans before they read into these trends whether even if we end up with four or five Michael Holmes drafts and, and, and whatnot, is that. We don't know, even though we know the outside perspective, the outside perception of prospects we ultimately don't know what the internal evaluations are right like we don't know whether the Giants targeted Kyle Harrison because he was a low 90s guy who they thought had good command and maybe could add some velocity they might have said no Kyle Harrison's someone who we think with this one tweak or adjustment some bulk up he'll be hitting 97 98 and we can teach him command like like our whole thought process on why these players are being taken is ultimately one we have to reverse engineer because that's not being made um, public and so I think that's where it's eternally interesting. It's why you and I will be able to write thousands of words about it, you know, consistently for a very long time, because it is this amorphous thing that we're never going to have certainty around. But I think it also makes it uh, something where you do have to accept a certain amount of, you know, we don't necessarily know why they're doing everything they're doing. And we're not necessarily going to ever be able to really know and it's just going to come down to how these players end up progressing and you know playing on the field you know the, there's obviously this isn't this regime but the famous brock bond case right that he's drafted <laughs> accidentally right because there was another bond and the the code that they submitted was you know one or two off and brock bond ends up performing better than the player that they meant to draft right like it just shows um to me it's such a perfect encapsulation of ultimately there's some randomness and some luck like there are players who the giants may draft because the scout might like them a bit or think they have a chance and they outperform even their own expectations and they're not going to complain about it. Right. And I think that's a credit also to what Kyle Haynes, the director, the farm director has emphasized, right? Like we are developing every player to be the best version that they can, you know? And, and I think that's a point he's consistently emphasized because it's one that I think, you know, we've seen farm systems again. I know you and I have talked about, um, I guess more off air uh, occasionally, you know, talking about the the Astros, right, and how they've been um, so uh, influential in what's happened to the minor leagues with the condensed teams, with the um, limits on how many teams an organization can have, how many players an organization can have um, took under contract. And where the Giants, I think if they could have their say, would follow a different guideline because I think they do believe in sort of a more numbers approach where giving people chances, you know, because, you know, you might find a Sam Long or, you you know, you might have some of these players who really exceed even their own expectations.
1: Yeah, I I think the other thing, too, that goes right along with what he's talking about is it's in general we paint with two broader brushes right when we're talking mm-hmm. about the the giants are now analytics which means xyz and this they have an organizational philosophy and this is you know it, it pervades every corner of the organization um whereas you know well joe lemma was there before farhan came and yep. basically he looked and said yeah it looks like you're doing a good job what resources do you need keep doing it uh you know michael holmes comes in to to uh to run the drafts, but then Brian Bridges joins too as the national cross checker. And you think, well, Michael Holmes, eh, a lot of those ace drafts were kind of college bat heavy. Brian Bridges is going to be famous for his high school pitching selections. And beneath both those guys, there's a lot of scouts who've been with this organization for decades who are, you know, still the guys who know how to go find Matt Duffy and Joe Panic, right? This is not some very, you know, top-down Everything's got to be this way I think it's too easy to fall into the traps of thinking that way. there's lots and lots of skills and, and gifts in the uh, acquisition scouting and development organization uh, and 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 more resources are being given to them to, to to achieve their ends and maybe more data involved in in helping the players achieve their ends but I think it's not, Uh, you know, didactic (laughs) as an organization, right? There's a lot of uh, fluidity and flexibility. And as you say, individual treatment of players uh, to try and get to to the best version of themselves.
0: Definitely. Well, Roger, we didn't necessarily talk about the big league club that much this episode, but I think that's perfectly fine. That's um, obviously where we spend, uh, frankly, probably too much of our time thinking about (laughs) the the minor leagues and, and prospects. Where can people find the great work you're doing?
1: Well, you can always follow me on Twitter at Rod61. And uh, I put out a daily roundup of the minor league system at therearegiants.com, which is just there and the capital R, giants.com, which you can also find at rogermunter.substack.com. So lots of different places. If you follow me on Twitter, you can probably arrive at it quicker.
0: That's that's a great point. And again, I highly recommend uh, giving Roger a follow. He does fantastic work up and down the Giants minor league system, but also um, you know has some opinions on you know baseball in general and development trends in Major League Baseball throughout the professional ranks. I think he has some really good insights. I'd highly recommend and Roger thank you um, again uh, for joining us today this has been the 30th episode of sound the foghorn as always I'm your host Mark DeLuke you can follow me on twitter at mad DeLuke that is m-a-d-d-e-l-u-c-c-h-i you can also always stay tuned to the podcast and other giants news and rumors at around you can follow us on twitter at round the foghorn and as always until next time stay safe and have a wonderful week